you're able, feel free to stand for a reading of our scripture. We have one, Psalm 139. For the director of music of David, a psalm. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light became night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. You, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is some of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, will slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, Lord, and lead me in the way everlasting. Good morning to you all. Thomas Long tells a story about being a pastor of friend of his at church, and they talked to study for a while, and then the pastor invited Long to go on a tour of the building, and so he took him to the fellowship hall, to the sanctuary, and finally he escorted him out into the, the yard of the church and to show him the whole building, and when Long got out there, uh, he saw a very impressive building. It was a neo-Gothic gem in his own words. But Long's eyes were drawn to this prominent tower that was rising up to the heavens where he saw something odd. At the top of all this tower, these four sides where there should have been stained glass, it was boarded up. And he asked his friend, what happened there? Oh yeah, his friend responded, the people in the town asked us to do that. There used to be stained glass windows in these openings. They were depictions of the eye of God, you know, like on the back of a dollar bill. The windows were illuminated at night and you could see them all over the town from the high school, from the mall, and a lot of people complained. They told us they believed in God, but they didn't want God looking at them all the time. In Psalm 139, we have a picture of a God who sees everything. 
He sees when the psalmist sits. He sees when the psalmist rises. He sees when the psalmist goes out. He sees when the psalmist lies down. The eye of God in Psalm 139 sees everything. And it's not just that the psalmist is under the surveillance of God. We read that the psalmist is hymned on every side. To be hymned by God can have positive connotations. It can mean you're protected, you are close. But it can also have negative connotations of being restricted, controlled, trapped. The psalmist realizes that no matter where he goes, God is there. If he goes up, if he flees to the heavens, God is there. If he rises on the wings of the dawn, meaning if he goes to the far east, God is there. If he settles on the far side of the sea, now he's looking to the west, God is there. Most surprisingly, the psalmist realizes that if he were to make his bed in the depths, meaning if he were to make his bed in Sheol, God would be there. Now we see Sheol in the, in the Old Testament. It's, it's not exactly clear what Sheol is, but it's this kind of murky place, this abode of the dead. It's this unseen realm of the dead. And in ancient Israel, it was thought that after a person died, they would descend into this shadowy, lifeless place where all humans went, even the righteous and the unrighteous. When Jacob, for example, uh, his son Joseph, he finds out he thinks he's dead, he's, his sons and daughters are trying to comfort him, but he refuses, saying, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. So we even have Jacob moving to Sheol. And this is a surprise, right? If you would think if there's one place you could flee from God, it would be Sheol, this shadowy, murky abode of the dead. But, but the psalmist realizes, no, even there, God will track him down. And the psalmist is coming to realize what Jonah learned when he made his daring attempts to flee the Lord when he was called to Nineveh. You can board a ship headed to Tarshish, headed to the far, farthest known place in the known world, and even there God will find you. It's as if he has this kind of, uh, when God stitched him together in his mother's womb, there was this tracking device that was stitched in there as well. There's something kind of slightly unnerving about constant surveillance being hemmed in on every side. We typically refer to this as prison. But there's one thing, thankfully, that prisons can't do. They cannot as far as I know, peer into the heart and soul and mind of a prisoner, of a person. But see, in the psalm, this is no ordinary eye of God. It doesn't just see the outside. It has the ability to pierce into the deepest recesses of the soul. The soul is laid bare before God. All thoughts, all desires, all emotions are perceived by God. In the Star Wars universe, this is known as mind probe. It's a powerful ability of the force that allows a person to sift through the thoughts and emotions and memories of a person seeking useful information. This is how Darth Vader is able to sense the conflict in his son Luke, that Luke feels this draw to the dark side. The psalmist realizes that even the words that are not yet on his tongue are known by God. And because God knows every thought, he might as well be honest about his feeling. And honesty we get in this psalm. Did you all notice while Aaron was reading, this psalm kind of took this jarring, surprising turn? We're talking about the psalmist. He was a little munchkin in his mother's womb, and all of a sudden we're talking about slaying enemies. Anybody else notice that? It was a little bit abrupt. <laughs> Thank you, Aaron. Yeah, you did a nice job reading it. Do you all remember, uh, some of you, 
most of you remember, the old VHS cameras, right? They, they sat on your shoulder, right? And they would, you can't just, like, now you can film whatever. But back then, it was a special occasion, right? It was like the soccer game, the trip to Florida, opening up Christmas vacations. Dad or mom, it seems like it was often dad. I don't know, my house it was dad. Dad would break out the VHS, this big old thing, and you would start recording. But I know one, sometimes what would happen is you could re-record on these tapes, and so you could have this tape, there's Johnny playing soccer, and all of a sudden, bam, right in the middle of it, cuts to something totally unrelated. It feels like that's what's happened in the psalm here. We've got this nice, beautiful psalm, and then... It cuts in, and we are moved into a horror movie. We're talking about slaying the wicked. We're talking about hating on the haters of God. Like, it's no wonder, watch out for this, it happens often, when people use this beloved Psalm 139 for a funeral or for worship service, verses 19 through 22 are conveniently left out. (laughs) This makes us uncomfortable. Maybe it makes the Anabaptist Mennonites and us really uncomfortable, Like, I thought we were supposed to love our enemies, not slay them. I thought we weren't supposed to hate them. But the psalmist, see, what we see is when the eye of God peers into the soul of the psalmist, we see some dark stuff. Anyone else find uh, it just a little bit disconcerting how much we are watched these days? You can't go anywhere without a camera on you. You go out for a drive... Sunday drive, and there's the camera watching your speed. You go out shopping in the mall, and there's a sign that says, smile, you're on candid camera. Yeah, I know, I thought about this recently. You can't even go to somebody's doorbell now, and there not be a camera peering back at you. That just <laughs> creeps me out. Not to mention the eyes of the horsemen, uh, the four horsemen of big tech, Google, Facebook, Amazon, and Apple, that are always watching you. You can put up the slide. Thomas Long imagines a parody of Psalm 139 today that goes like this. Oh, Google, oh, Facebook, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. Oh, Amazon, you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, oh, cyber lords, you know it completely. There are times where it feels like Amazon and Facebook have somehow mastered the Jedi probe trick. Amazon, did I tell you that I was looking to buy a couch? I don't remember telling you I was looking to buy a couch, and yet there in front of me is a couch. It's as if you were listening to me. You can take that off. Google, it seems like you have the ability to now predict what I'm about to say. I'm I'm typing, and you actually predict the text I'm about to say. Do you know the words before they're even on my lips? Facebook, I was out driving the other day, and you knew where I was because you were able to alert me to a restaurant just down the road from me. How did you know that? Are you tracking me, Facebook? We are quite literally being tracked at all times these days. I don't know about you. Maybe I'm just being a little bit cynical. But somehow I don't think Google, Amazon, Facebook, and Apple are doing this because they have the best interest, my best interest in mind. I feel like they're tracking me and watching me because they want something from me. And yet it's powerful and it's scary if you look up the ways they're surveying us these days. 
It's nothing compared to the kind of surveillance that we read in Psalm 139, which goes beyond anything that Google and Facebook can do yet. They're working on it, I'm sure. This is a, let's put up the next slide. You can, it's in your bulletin too if you want a closer look. This is a painting by the Dutch painter, or attributed to the Dutch painter Hieronymus Bosch called The Seven Deadly Sins and the Four Last Things. Uh, the painting has four small circles detailing the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell, and they surround a larger circle which depicts the seven deadly sins. And guess what you see there in the middle? What does that look like to you? What does that look like to you? A little pupil and an eye, right? Around the seven deadly sins, there's an eye that's watching. It represents the eye of God. And in the pupil is Christ emerging from the tomb, and in that, the text there, right in the pupil, is in Latin, cave, cave, dominis fide, which means, beware, beware, the Lord sees. There's a more modern version of Bosch's painting, which is set to music. You may know it. You may have sung it as a child. It goes like this. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. Song continues. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little feet, little heart, little mind. The eye of God is upon you. You learn that very young. Be careful. The eye of God is peering into the deepest recesses of your heart and your mind. And if we're honest, that's slightly scary. You know why? Because oftentimes if we peer into our own souls, our own hearts, and our own minds, we are kind of scared by what we see. My younger children will often ask Christian and me to accompany them into our basement. It is the darkest and the scariest place in our home because they are afraid to go there alone. They are not sure about what monsters are lurking in the basement. We may not be scared to go into basements anymore, but if we are honest, we are often terrified to descend into the innermost parts of our hearts and our minds and our souls because of what is lurking there, what is hiding, what a flashlight might expose. It is why silence terrifies our culture today. It is why we are constantly reaching for our phones, for our televisions, for our newspapers, for our music, for our movies, anything to distract ourselves from ourselves. Because to see ourselves as we actually are, to ask God to search us, to know us, to investigate us, is almost too much. It will, we fear, crush us. It is why from the very beginning we see in the book of Genesis, we seek to hide from the eyes of God. We are like our spiritual ancestors, Adam and Eve. We feel exposed, naked, and so we seek to hide ourselves from God. We think Jonah is crazy to think that he can outrun, young, outrun the Lord, and yet we try to run from the Lord all the time. We are like those people in that town by the church with the boarded up stained glass windows. We may believe in God, we're just not sure we want that God looking at us all the time. But the psalmist does in fact want God to look at him. Not just to see him, but to investigate him, to search him, to know him, to test his anxious thoughts. Psalm 139 begins this way. It begins with a statement of what God has already done. God, you've searched me. You know me. He knows that God has searched him and known him. 
He knows that God has investigated him. He knows that God knows every nook and cranny of him, his heart and soul. The psalmist knows that God has taken that fleshlight down into the basement of his soul, that darkest place, and he has seen the shadows lurking around. He's seen the horror movie that's playing in the basement, which includes the slaying of enemies. And yet, by the time he gets to the psalm, he asks God to keep going. He's actually moved into the imperative by the end of the psalm. He doesn't say that God has searched me. He's saying, no, search me. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. He's, he's commanding God to do this. God has searched him in the deepest places, and guess what? God has not been frightened off by what he has seen. How does one pray this prayer, really? How does, how does, one, God, how does that one ask God to move in such a vulnerable place, such a terrifying prayer in so many ways? The answer we see is in verse 13, if you've got your Bibles open. You know this line. It's beautiful. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. He goes on, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. The psalmist is saying that even before he emerged from his mother's womb, God saw him. God was surveying him. In the ancient Near East, the time where this was written, the womb was, was a mysterious place. It was as remote uh, to, to the human eye as any region in the netherworld. Right? This, takes, this takes some work on our part. We of course, in our day and age, have uh, uh, ultrasounds. We can see what, we can pull back the curtain of the wound and see what's happening behind there. But, but in this day, there's no ultrasounds. There's no way to see, and it's very mysterious what's happening. But the psalmist knows that even in this most remote, this most mysterious place, the womb of his mother, God was at work. God was knitting. God was weaving. God was taking this unformed body like a master sculptor. He was shaping it into a masterpiece. The same God who in the creation count in Genesis takes some of the clay, some of the soil, and sculpts it into a person like a potter sculpting clay that God then comes in and breathes in the breath of life into the man's nostril, and God calls that creation good. The psalmist realized that's the same God who sculpted him, who weaved him together who breathed life into him, and who calls him good. The psalmist is saying, you made me, God, and you don't make junk. All your works, including me, are wonderful. The psalmist can pray this prayer not because he's confident in himself, but because he knows that the one that is searching him, knowing him, testing him, leading him, watching him, is the eye of a heavenly parent. This isn't a cold and distant eye. This is the set of eyes of a parent a tracking device has indeed been inserted in at the time when he was woven together, but it's because the master wants to be able to track his masterpiece of ours at all time. It's because the creator knows that he will be able to track him down even if he descends into Sheol. And because the psalmist is secure in who he is, fearfully and wonderfully made, a masterpiece loved deeply by his creator, secure in God, he can be honest. He can be honest that he's a work in progress. He can speak so candidly to God in this prayer. He can tell God how he's actually feeling. It can be a frightening prospect to be fully seen, to be fully known. But there's something even more frightening than being fully seen and fully known, and that is to not be seen and to not be known. 
It's like the child who finds the perfect place, the perfect hiding spot playing hide-and-go-seek. At first, when the child finds that spot, they exclaim, they can't find me, they can't find me, they can't find me. And the more time goes by, the glee soon turns to despair when the child realizes, they can't find me, they can't find me, they can't find me. We want to be known. We want to be seen. And the good news of Psalm 139 is that the eye upon us is not a cold and distant and impersonal God, but a heavenly parent. What changes in our mind if the image that comes to our mind is not of the Bosch's painting that says, Beware, beware, the Lord sees, or not that song that rings out in our head from our childhood that says, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. But rather, the Lord sees me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. God sees everything, but not through the eye of a cold camera or a corporation, but of a parent. And think about the difference that makes. Think about the difference when the eyes are of a parent. If you have had a child, think about the ways you have watched that child. You have surveyed that child. The first image you got of that child was likely when the child was still in the mother's womb. It was likely a grainy black and white photo of the child in the womb. It didn't look like much, but you took it and you put it on your refrigerator so that you could gaze and wonder at that little child that's being formed in the, in the womb that's already precious to you. On the day of the child's birth, you watched with wonder as the child emerged from the womb in which God had knitted them together to enter the world. And when the child emerged from the womb, you knew two things. You knew your life would never be the same, and you knew you would never stop loving that child. You recorded the first word of that child in your journal. You took pictures of the first bath they took and the first time they ate ice cream. You took a video recording of their fifth birthday party in your backyard. You watched as doctors whisked the child away when they were taken to surgery. Your heart broke when you saw that child rejected at school for those time. You watched when that child looked at that body and that child thought, I am anything but fearfully and wonderfully made. You watched as that child made poor decisions. You watched that child even when the last thing that child wanted was for you to watch him. Why did you gaze upon your child? Because as a parent, you can do no other. The God who sees you, who watches you, who knows you, is not a cold and distant God eye in the sky. It is not a prosecutor who is looking to find evidence against you so that he can prosecute you. The one who sees you is your creator, your heavenly parent, who formed you in your mother's womb. You are not a mistake. God did not mess up when he sculpted you in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God did not miss one stitch when God was stitching you together in your mother's womb. You are wonderfully made. God looks at you. God sees you. God can't take his eyes off you because God gazes at you like a, like a master painter gazes at his painting. Yes, God has hemmed you in behind him before. Yes, God has installed a tracking device on you. Because that means that God will hunt you down wherever you go. Even if you descend into hell on earth, God will track you down there. Yes, this God searches and knows you, not because he's trying to get something from you, like Google and Facebook and Amazon. God doesn't need anything from you. 
God searches and knows you because God loves you and God wants what's best for you. He peers into the darkest places of your soul and he's not scared by what he sees. We know we're not supposed to be angry, but we're angry and so we try to suppress it. We know we're supposed to love our enemy, but if we're honest, we want to slay our enemy. And Psalm 139 reminds us, if God really knows us completely, if God really knows the words on our tongues before we know them, we might as well be honest with God. We might as well stop praying what we think God wants to see inside of us and start praying what God actually sees inside of us. We need to stop praying the the words we think God wants us to say and start praying the words that are actually on our heart because God sees us and God loves us and God wants to transform us. He wants to take those unformed parts of us, the abysses in our soul, and he wants to renew them. He wants to heal them. He's like a doctor. He does an x-ray of us. Why? Because he's got to show what's broken in order to heal us. God sees us as we actually are, and amazingly, he loves us. And isn't that what we all desire? Isn't that what our deepest longing for, to be seen as we actually are, to stand naked before God, to be known for we who we are, for God to see the good, the bad, and the ugly, and to still be loved? That is what this psalm is about. And that is why how we can pray with the psalmist and join him in saying, search me, know me, test me, see if there's any offensive way in me. Because we know the eye that is upon us is not a cold eye, but the eye of a heavenly parent who wants to lead us in the way everlasting.